Hi, and welcome to the Female Health Podcast. My name is Mary Jo McGuire, owner of MJ Nutrition. I have a degree and master's in nutritional science, and I'm studying to be a nutritional therapist also. I work with women every day who want to lose weight, improve their relationship with food, hack their hormones, regulate their cycle, restore their periods, learn about nutrition for hormonal balance, help women come off the pill, and lots more. This podcast will be a place to talk about all things female health related, from periods, the pill, weight loss, diets, fertility, acne, PMS, and lots, lots more. I hope this platform to be educational and empowering so women can take charge of their health, their hormones, so they can feel and look their best at all stages. Hi and welcome to the Female Health Podcast. I'm your host, Mary Jo, and this week I have the lovely Jenny Hare from One Health Nutrition on. So Jenny is all about empowering women to understand their hormones and fertility. Um, Her Instagram has amazing content where she speaks a lot about contraception, hormones, nutrition, um, fertility, and just has really useful content for anyone struggling with their hormones, wants to understand them more, and acne uh, as well as one of her uh, main thing she actually speaks a lot about which is one of the reasons why I wanted to get her on today so um I've worked with Jenny before in with the fit clinic and she has a master of knowledge uh, of knowledge when it comes to um hypothalamic amenorrhea hormones and acne and lots of other things but I really wanted to get her on today to discuss uh, those main areas hypothalamic amenorrhea is a huge um area when it comes to female health and it's just a a topic that could have a few podcasts to itself but I'm going to get Jenny on today to talk about it um in around under an hour anyway and see how we get on but uh Jenny thank you so much for coming on and I'm so glad that you're here today (laughs) thank you so much for having me I'm delighted to be here great great so do you want to just have a bit of an introduction to what you do and your your what you studied and stuff like that before uh, getting into the topics (laughs) yeah well I think you have covered my interest. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much. But yeah, no, so I, I'm similar to MJ in that I see clients on a one-to-one basis. I focus on everything and um, female health. So everything from, you know, period health, missing your period, which we'll obviously discuss today, and um, PCOS, and um, anything really to do with the menstrual cycle um, is where I kind of love to, to focus. And um, I suppose then recently I've been quite interested in kind of understanding the effects of the pill and you know preparing yourself to come off the pill I have recently gone on that journey in the last few years um, and then the kind of side effects that I've um, kind of managed I suppose over the last you know subsequent few months um, and I suppose that was something I wasn't aware of so yeah that kind of sparked that interest as well and it resonates with a lot of people so you know, I speak with quite regularly and kind of trying to support women through that kind of transition back to kind of a normal cycle. Yeah, super. Yeah, and a similar journey to myself, kind of like your own issues kind of probably sparked you to get into the menstrual health field and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like I suppose one of the areas that you work a lot on is hypothalamic amenorrhea. And like I would consider you as one of the the go-to people to ask about it really. Like I, I attended one of your master classes, which was amazing back in the, with the Fit Clinic. Um, but I suppose for people who there could be some listening to this who, who have gone through this or who have hypothalamic amenorrhea at the moment or there may be some who've never heard of it so what is the actual definition of it because it's thrown about a lot but there is a definition for it so how does someone know if they actually have hypothalamic amenorrhea yeah okay so that's that's actually really important so hypothalamic amenorrhea is a diagnosis of exclusion so you 
have to exclude things like PCOS, which obviously you have spoken all about, and um, other things like the, you know, problems with the pituitary gland with the hypothalamus. And then when all of that is ruled out, you can then get, move on to diagnosing hypothalamic amenorrhea. And then within hypothalamic amenorrhea, so there is primary amenorrhea, which is when you have not started menstruation, you know, like a young girl, um, by the age of 15, they say you are considered to have primary amenorrhea if you have not had your first period by the age of about 15. Granted, some girls have a little bit later and there sometimes is nothing wrong and that's yeah. fine, but I suppose it's just um, a point at which you could start looking into things if, if there's nothing kind of coming on around that age. Um, and then I suppose what we're going to focus on today is secondary amenorrhea, which is what we would usually treat with our clients. Um, I've actually never you know, come across anyone with primary amenorrhea. I suppose granted that my clients be, you know, older than kind of like into their 20s and 30s. And yeah. um, so secondary amenorrhea is defined by the cessation of irregular menses for greater than three months. Yeah. Or if you are somebody who has irregular cycles for greater so say somebody with PCOS and they might have an irregular cycle and, and they when they haven't had a cycle for about six months, you then might start looking at HA. Um, okay yeah so it just it kind of I think it kind of broke off there so they haven't had a, a cycle for three months or an irregular cycle for six months is that it yeah if somebody yeah, has yeah. a cycle and they haven't had a cycle then for six months yeah okay for somebody like that and um, and I suppose the first thing that I then within secondary amenorrhea and um, it's often referred to as functional and um, hypothalamic amenorrhea and functional and to signify that there is a behavior element. So there's something from a behavioral perspective that is driving the fact that you don't have a period. And yeah. the whole host of things, but usually um, it is reversible once that underlying cause is rectified. Yes. So it's not just this thing you constantly have to deal with. And I think it's really important as well to like highlight the fact that your period is so important and if you don't have it your body is trying to tell you something there's a reason why you don't have it and it's not just important for when you want to have a baby it's so more important it is a key indicator of health it's referred to as the fifth vital sign for a woman it um it is really your body trying to try and tell you that there's something not right here um, and you need to have a look so we will obviously discuss and the things that drive hypothalamic amenorrhea yeah I think that's the first thing to call out like if you haven't got a cycle for any particular reason sorry aside from having a different condition that you know yeah yeah it's that um it's really important that you that you recognize that there's something out of whack and you need to go and have a look and a bit of a deeper dive a hundred percent yeah I think that's really important to say that like some people can be like oh this is great no period for a year like I don't have to worry about anything but while there may be less issues in some parts of your life but it's still really um there's something wrong there and like not to ignore that and as you say there's so many important reasons we get a period and it's due to the ovulation and the benefits of all of that um and as you say it's the fifth vital sign for health so really important that you're not ignoring this if you are missing your cycle for some reason so you talked about what it is and everything but who is or who are most at risk for you know developing this kind of functional amenorrhea yeah so I think I suppose the first thing I'll the first thing I would always start with with my clients is actually just understanding and explaining to them exactly what's going on because I think when from my experience when people really understand what's going on it actually really helps the journey uh, the recovery journey immensely so 
ultimately the kind of clues in the name so hypothalamic amenorrhea it's essentially born out of an issue with your hypothalamus the hypothalamus being the center and coordination of the brain it coordinates your hormones it tells um, another gland in your body the pituitary gland to release hormones stimulating hormone and luteinizing hormone and when these hormones are not released for um you know various reasons that we can get into stress related reasons and um, the communication between the brain hypothalamus and the ovaries is is cut off yeah and you then don't cycle your hormones and that's when your your period you know disappears um and i think when we're looking at why you might suffer from it it is ultimately um a stress so your body is perceiving itself to be in a state of stress um, and stress a lot of people automatically think of psychological stress you know fight or work stress or whatever but your body does not know how to differentiate between different categories of stress so there are three main types of functional um, hypothalamic amenorrhea so weight loss induced exercise induced and stress induced and it can for for most uh, women it is a combination of those and you know you, you have what we would say um is like a you know a stress bucket there are everyone has a different size bucket and what might cause my bucket to overflow might be completely fine for you so you know i might be able or you might be able to manage doing you know high intensity training five days a week being kind of under pressure in work and maybe doing a calorie deficit whereas i might not be able to tolerate that at all And, and my body's way of responding to that and letting you know that it cannot tolerate it is to switch off their reproductive function because yeah, yeah. prioritize functions that it perceives as more important well ones that are going to keep you alive you know function yeah. your, your, your uh, breathing system etc etc and um, but from a you know um keeping your life perspective your body doesn't perceive your reproductive function as vital yes. so that's why it is the first one to write back when there's something not right yeah, yeah. so then if we look at you know who is at risk and you know why they might be at risk so going back to those three drivers of the hypothalamic area so stress and um, you know psychological stress if you've had something very traumatic happen death in the family really really stressed out at work yeah. whatever that stress means for you yeah body releases cortisol and um, and that's another one of the key indicators of people with hypothalamic they have elevated cortisol levels serum yeah. cortisol levels um they their body then gets this cortisol uh, response and it prioritizes creation of cortisol over other hormones and it then will have an impact on that hpa axis and cessation of the, the menstruation then starts yeah and then from a nutrition perspective which is what we would normally you would normally hear of you know um athletes losing their period they're obviously doing you know a huge amount of exercise yeah. and it's usually a case that they're just not eating enough to uh fuel that level yeah. of exercise so and it could be just not purposely but it's just yeah yeah might need a huge amount of energy and they might not even have an appetite for that because yeah. you know after exercise sometimes you just don't feel like the food yes absolutely um so they then are in this state of relative energy deficiency um which is often referred to as reds syndrome yeah so um that's the kind of nutrition and the under eating but like from a you know a normal kind of non-academic Athlete, yeah 
you know, a woman that could be just being in a calorie deficit, you know, you're eating, you know, 1400 calories and, you know, you're kind of dropping some body fat and your body is just saying, I don't have enough energy to carry out all the functions that I need to do. And so I'm going to, again, switch off mental cycle. And then thirdly, the um, over-exercising. So it's the same, it's it's the same end state in that you're pushing your body and to a state that doesn't have enough energy to do what it needs to do. So they're, that's how the hypothalamic area might come about. Yeah. Um, but when we then look at, you know, each woman is so unique. So again, yeah. what causes one person, like, you know, a woman might say, well, I'm literally doing, you I know. know, three times a week. I'm like, I'm eating 1600 calories. Like, yeah. And my friend is doing that as well. But like, yeah, she might be fine and you might just need more food um, I think that's yeah really important and I think also like it doesn't mean that you're any like I don't know I think there's a certain like mentality that you're not like strong enough or you're nearly weak or something it's nothing to do with like your mental capacity or anything it's perhaps just a genetic makeup of your body like as you say everyone is so so different and um, it's you're not a weaker person but you just need to maybe that doesn't suit your body type and to adjust that and up your calories or whatever it is in, in your in that instance as well do you find that there's a certain type of person that is more prone to this a type of hypothalamic amenorrhea I, I for me I have anyway I feel like there's a lot of I'm going to say like doers or type A's kind of personalities and um, that just like to be on the go all the time I, I feel like it's quite common yeah absolutely I think it's 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 usually overachievers it's people yeah. set themselves a particular goal I will not mm-hmm. you know falter from this goal until I need it and and you know it it might be you know I want to do x competition in CrossFit or I want to do a marathon and and running in particular for um a few different reasons is the most uh seems to be the most detrimental to women um and and menstrual cycle health and I think that stems from our like an evolutionary point of view where why we would literally would have been running from like predators yeah so the body is like oh this is danger and I'm gonna I suppose as well just to it makes complete sense so if you think about it your body and um, in famine times or in times of danger like from an evolutionary perspective it would not have let you get pregnant in a time where it perceived you to be you know and um, not enough foods so it's famine yeah. or being in danger so it's gonna yeah, yeah. Very it switches off your reproductive function because yeah. it is not a safe environment to bring a baby into and that's the way your body works absolutely I think that's one of the biggest challenges I have found with working with hypothalamic amenorrhea clients is trying to educate them and, and, and shift them away from the running that they do like there's some of them will be running like three or four times a week 10k or more and like amazing that they have that level of fitness to do that but at the consequence of shutting down their female cycle their menstrual cycle and like trying to describe that your body is perceiving you're in a state of danger right now and sh- switching your exercise type and slowing down even your walking and becoming more present and it's really difficult and I I, I I don't know about you but I tried to say it doesn't mean you have to do this forever like because running can be so much part of their identity at this point or whatever exercise it is I find running is one though that's quite a challenge for them to stop and um, I feel it's part of, it's such an achievement I suppose to to get those milestones so then it's like I have to let this go it's, it's quite difficult I think that brings in like the mental challenges of hypothalamic amenorrhea it's a lot more than just a physical journey it's just huge mental like it's I think that this is this is why um you know women will honestly 
I've had women come to me and they haven't had a cycle in four or five, six years. Yeah. Um, and, and that's not uncommon. Um, and I think because, and they get into a state where they're like, I know what I have to do for, for a lot of women. They're like, I know yeah. what I have to do. And, um, you know, I've read such and such and, you know, I've heard that I have to eat this, you know, two and a half thousand calories and I have to do this. But like, we all know that food is so much more multifaceted than simply eating like it is part of our identity and for a lot of females like unfortunately we have been bred into the society that you know perpetuates this whole thing where like smaller is better and then this whole um theology that you know that you know you're not um going to be able to you know fit in where you want to fit in and but it's usually just uh it's much more in my experience a mental oh massively because as you say they they intuitively know they're not eating enough or they intuitively know they're maybe over exercising but it's just not as simple as stopping that there's a goal or a reason they're choosing to partake in that choice or behavior of eating less or over exercising because they maybe have an idealism of looking a certain way or maybe there's even more there could be an eating disorder behind it as well or or disordered eating as well you know there's so many reasons that it it could have got to that point and it's really breaking that down to figure out and it's 100% a spectrum like there are you know there are women who um they might only slightly be under eating because they love doing all this running and then on the opposite end of the spectrum there are women who have severe disordered eating and then you know I think it's important for you know people like us to like recognize that we can do so much from yeah. a you know a nutrition perspective and helping them and coaching them yeah. but it comes to a point where if that individual is just beyond if, if they're psychological and um, if they their journey of yeah. recovery is very rooted in you know self-esteem issues that is where a therapist can be really really helpful yeah um, for somebody with hypothalamic memory because you really have to unpack those and um, what's driving those you know the body yeah. issues and and the the body image and the poor body image and the steam and and usually it's it's things much more deep-rooted than oh I want to you know wearing size eight jeans oh 100 yeah yeah it always is yeah absolutely no I would totally agree with that like I do think there's a lot that we can do as coaches and like you know I think you and I have talked about this before really challenging them like what is their priority right now is it running a 10k marathon your priority or is getting your cycle back and getting a regular period your priority and whatever trumps ish is what you focus on and so if it's your period you do need to cut back in the running for whatever a short like for until you're in a recovery phase basically it is a recovery time so so speaking about then the recovery um like obviously like there's a huge amount in that area but like what would you someone what's your main things that you'd work on in terms of helping someone somebody during recovery yeah so I suppose there is this kind of um misconception that every person with hypothalamic amenorrhea is underweight and we've discussed you know there could be other you know you might be an athlete and largely speaking they're not underweight it's just this relative energy deficiency but I think there are then those that cohort that are underweight and their their BMI is quite low and I mean I don't love BMI as an indicator of health but in this instance it can be helpful because it gives you a picture of where that person is yes yeah Um, and it's, I, you know, you first have to start by kind of 
the whole psychological element of it and kind of unpacking, you know, what's led them to this point. Um, stressful, usually there's a triggering kind of stressful event that might have triggered the kind of low calorie or the over-exercising or whatever it might be. Um, and then you really have to look at, you know, kind of trying to get to a point where you're going to be able to make these behavioral modifications and increase your calories ultimately. And I think that is the, from the onset of any client I work with, I think the mo the majority of the clients I have worked with have been underweight. I haven't, I don't focus on, um, you know, athletic performance, therefore I don't get a lot of those clients. So they're slightly different, but I suppose it's getting their buy-in the fact that, I'm, you know, you will have to, um, Put on weight and um, it, it, it will come because you might be they, these are girls that are my women that might be on you know 1200 calories a day and you're then trying to gradually move up to something closer to two and a half thousand that's yeah. a huge shift not yeah. only is it physically eating that much more calories like two or three times what you're already eating huge but the, the mental side of and the psychological elements that come with that and then i suppose honestly and you know recognizing and, and watching your body weight increase that might be something that's really really difficult for them yeah definitely definitely um, yeah and like you said it's 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 about constantly I will always do an exercise at the start but like you know what is the why and mm -hmm. I think the, the demographic of women that I work with are you know women in their kind of mid to late 20s into their 30s and their goal for a lot of the time is you know I want to prepare myself to have a baby yeah, and yeah ultimately that is a huge that is a very strong driver that they can kind of say at least they know you know at the end of this if I really and I do all the work and I do all the the you know the, the self-development that goes with this journey and this yeah. report, I might have a pregnancy at the end and that ultimately trumps everything and that's these yeah. are one of the reasons why HA clients along with fertility clients are my favorite to work with because there's this huge sense of reward after a very, very journey, their outcome it's just more important than anything so they will do the work and they're so committed and I think Absolutely. that is the buy-in the level of buy-in that you actually need if you're somebody who is in you know quite severe hypothalamic in an area yeah, and yeah, then, yeah, yeah but yeah so it's in increasing calories and is the two thousand two and a half thousand calories like this is always kind of the number thrown about is that like the recommended for the for for every woman or is it roughly around that amount what like what's the evidence for that so I, this is actually something I was really interested in before I like really delved into the topic a couple of years ago. So like it's, it's thrown out a huge amount. And I was kind of thinking like, how can you give this generic mm. recommendation to women? And I was really, really skeptical of it. However, when I did um, start going to the research, the Institute of Medicine and multiple clinical trials have found that for an active woman, a fertile BMI is anything upwards of 22. So 22, 23 upwards. Yeah. And with body fat percentage of a minimum of 20%. Okay. And they have found then in correlation with that, that calorie intake of precisely 2,533 calories wow. per day <laughs> required for a fully functioning, you know, menstruating metabolism, which okay. is really, really interesting. I think that they do say, you know, obviously this give or take if you're incredibly tall. And if you are not going to strip down your exercise, you have to compensate for that in that calorie requirement. So if you're saying, listen, MJ, I really need to keep some degree of my running. My my thing there would say, you know, okay, I um you won't recover at the same pace, but I totally appreciate that that is part of you and your yeah. identity and it's important to you. It might be your way of getting headspace, but we have to factor that into our plan. So if that's something you need to 
keeping one recognize it might take you a little bit longer and two um you do need to eat more calories then yeah. so you know we might be looking at something like two eight and like that's a huge amount of food mm, uh, and yeah. somebody who might be have been in a in a calorie deficit yeah so yeah they, they you know a lot of them kind of come to me and they say okay well how do like I just want to get back just like how do I do it and I'm saying okay well, if I lay down in paper let's aim for this calorie wise like literally strip out all of your exercise and do some you know light walking um yeah. and if that's something I want to like dive into you know they they generally get their their cycle back much quicker than if they were to um you know keep in some of their exercise but I think there's somewhere in the middle there where a lot of them say okay I'd like to keep in something I'm not ready to just completely yeah yeah move it, um for whatever reason yeah um, and then we kind of, you know, we, we create a plan and it's a little bit more longer term approach, but you, yeah. they will ultimately get there if they do commit to the process. Absolutely. What is like, is there um, an ideal amount of time if someone's given it their all in terms of upping their calories to that number and reducing their exercise completely? Is there a, a time that it should come back or is it just, again, is it very dependent on the person? Yeah, so it is dependent. Yeah. But um, in saying that, research does show that 75% of women who do really commit to eating that level of you know and um, food that calories their energy that they need completely like reducing their exercise obviously that looks different for everyone as well and yeah. um, you know even if somebody's doing like five days of crossfit even if they're doing one like that's a huge difference yeah you know? yeah and um, and are consistent with those behavioral changes on a daily basis that 75% of women can get their cycle back within six months yeah okay okay and interesting, interestingly, that I was really um, something that I found, you know, quite interesting when I was kind of looking into it and that the length of time that you have had hypothalamic anemia, you know, be it six months, be it three years, doesn't predict how long the recovery is. Which okay. I just think That's really interesting, actually. Yeah, yeah. You would actually imagine that, like, you know, if it was six years, it might take you a lot longer. But yeah, and it's something that's really reassuring to clients as really well. You know, they say like I'm, I'm panicking now. Like I'm, you know, 27. I I haven't had a period in four years. I and no one had a baby. Um, in the next couple of years, like, is it yeah. going to take me equal amount of yeah. time to get the baby back? And yeah. you kind of say, oh, like, let's commit to the process. And that's that's a real big driver and really yeah. big. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. No, that is really good to know. So, in terms of recovery, it's really like reducing exercise and up in calories. Like, put simply, obviously, like, but like. The, the challenge is like say you just said yourself someone's on 12 14 1600 calories and has to go up to two and a half thousand calories on a practical level like what is the suggestions there like we'll talk just a little bit about carbohydrates and how important they are because again it's very common for women to have been on low carb diets because it's the way to lose weight apparently but we both know that's not the way and also not good for uh, hormonal or nervous system health at all and um, so on a practical level what would your advice be with getting your calories up yeah so like obviously you can't go in all the guns blazing like you have yeah. to you know start at a point you know i'm not gonna you'll feel incredibly sick as well if you were to do that as well yeah. you know that volume of food but so yeah obviously it's, it's a very stage approach and the first thing i will always do is be, unless you have an allergy or intolerance we, we don't remove any food groups we yeah. have to we have to get out of this mindset of exclusion yeah so like clean eating like really toxic ways to look yeah. at food. change to, the language basically as well yeah yeah like and I would have your clients that come to me and say I you know I eat really well eat really healthy eat really clean and you know 
I don't say that, but like that's part of the problem. You know, yeah. like it's it's giving yourself a little bit more of that food freedom and yeah. not having these strict food rules because mm-hmm. that is, you know, part of the process as well. So no foods are off limits. Um like even like you know things that they might not, never dream of eating like crisps and chocolate and pastas and and pizzas like they're all actually sort of such an important you know part yeah. in the recovery journey um, and I like to think of them as recovery foods they're like happy foods their carbohydrates are actually they're so important in every aspect but particularly important in the maintenance of healthy hormones so studies have consistently indicated that increasing carbohydrates as part of a balanced kind of diet and um, reduces circulating cortisol yeah. and that also dampens the psychological stress related cortisol responsiveness yeah. okay you are, and that is ultimately what we're trying to do we're trying to reduce this perceived stress on the body so if your body yeah. is getting the energy that it needs so you have to remember as well that carbohydrates are the most accessible form of energy for our yeah. body to use so if we then give it that it doesn't feel like it's in a rel- like this energy deficiency yeah, yeah. You just release this cortisol and that's exactly what we're trying to do is bring down this cortisol level so and then the interesting thing I always find that this is kind of taught to kind of psychologically explain and strengthen this kind of comfort eating or stress eating relationship that we have with carbohydrates and you know like you would I would always consider like my comfort food is pasta yeah like, I, I would always lean on that if I needed a bit of comfort yeah. and it's just really interesting that like if you were in that you know stress and you need a little bit of comfort food there is actually science to support yeah actually it is yeah and it does it soothes the nervous system it reduces that cortisol release so yeah when you even say it like that it's so true like there's nothing nicer than a slice of toast and butter for me like you know like what I want to, to comfort eat <laughs> um but yeah that's it and I remember you saying something in your master class that it I think um I'm probably not going to get this right, but it's something like a, there's a different pathway, like between um, the sugars, uh, sugary yeah. foods or something, isn't there? Exactly. So yeah, exactly. That's exactly it. So simply put, carbohydrates and refined carbohydrates stimulate a different pathway um, in the brain than, say, um, more like fibrous and um, complex carbohydrates do. But we ultimately want all of those pathways firing oh. because they were um, stagnated because of this lack of energy. So yeah. we want that. Yeah. Um, that's why no foods are off limits amazing yeah yeah no I think that's really helpful and summed up like hypothalamic amenorrhea as best as we could in like a short space of time like but there's so much to and I definitely think the mental side of it is the, the biggest part for someone and upping those calories cutting back that exercise has become part of their life and ultimately seeing perhaps a change in body composition um but being it's more favorable towards your health really and I suppose embracing that is difficult but it is it's important to try and embrace it and see it see your body for what it can do for you and like whether it's for fertility or just for you to make your own hormones for all the other benefits that like even if you want to talk about like your skin and your hair and all of that like it starts to improve uh, as a result exactly and it's a case that as well like not in a scaremongery kind of way but there are long-term health consequences of not having um a cycle and also outside i presume that this would be clear at this point but just to note that like this hypothalamic amenorrhea is not when you are on the pill so like this is when you are off all hormonal contraceptives and you don't have a cycle yeah Um, but it's the case though do you find that like somebody right they could be on the pill for whatever five years but have been can they be in like a hypothalamic amenorrhea state where they were under eating and over exercising can they have 
put yeah, their body into that state when on the pill. Yeah. Absolutely. The pill yeah. is it. And of course, you're not going to know. You're not going to know. I've seen that a lot as well. And a lot of think then it's post pill amenorrhea, um, whereas it may not be. Like, again, it's quite, there's so many, like, it's quite difficult to diagnose, differentiate between these post pill amenorrhea and then perhaps hypothalamic amenorrhea. Again, it takes a bit of time maybe to. Yeah, exactly. And like, that's where um, when you've come off the pill after a couple of months, like, blood tests are very helpful in. Yeah purely diagnosing um hypothalamic amenorrhea and obviously we've discussed the it being a diagnosis of exclusion but i think ultimately um it can actually be quite difficult to differentiate between pcos and hypothalamic amenorrhea because obviously with pcos you can have incredibly irregular cycles yeah. so um the key indicator on a blood test um is luteinizing hormones so in hypothalamic amenorrhea on a blood test, you will have low luteinizing hormone, which will usually be less than follicle stimulating hormone. Yeah, yeah. And then the reverse is true for PCOS. Yeah, so that yeah. is one, indicator. obviously there are other things you need to look at, but on a blood test, that is a good indicator to kind of confirm yeah, yeah. what you're thinking. Um, but then I, I suppose then in addition to like the, the food we kind of talked about, we have talked about, you know, reducing exercise, both intensity and frequency. And then, there are other things that are really helpful, like um, supplementation. So yeah. in saying this, I will always caveat supplements across the board, but particularly for women undergoing a, you know, hypothalamic area recovery journey, that there are only so much you can expect a supplement to do. You have yeah. to have food and exercise sector first, and then the yeah. supplements are really helpful, but they're only really helpful when everything else is looked after. Yeah. Yeah. So I know we both feel the same about magnesium. So magnesium yeah. is literally like wonder nutrient for period health so the yeah. system regulates that hpa axis which is ultimately of course what we're trying to do um with uh hypothalamic amenorrhea um and then other like there are a few but just to name another two um kind of adaptogenic herbs like um ashwagandha and vitex yeah. so it's really really good at supporting ovulation, uh, protecting the hypothalamus from chronic stress. Again, what we're trying to achieve in this kind of journey. So yeah. just obviously very individualized approach. You yeah. can't just tell for that they're taking all these supplements. You have to. Definitely, especially when it comes to those herbal supplements, I find they really need to be taken under you know, the care and guidance of a, someone who works with them. Um, so I suppose we'll go on then. We talked a little bit about post-pill there, but like the other side of that is the acne and um the issues that come with that and I know you speak a lot about this and you had your own journey with acne as well um so yeah like hormones acne post pill what is your um what's going on there I suppose maybe on a biochemical level maybe just to so I think to start I suppose a lot of women go on to the pill because they've acne yeah Um, and the pill is fantastic at clearing off acne. Um, whether it's the best solution or not, I don't know. But um, the reason why the oral test pill is, and other hormonal contests actually for that matter, are very effective at managing hormonal acne is because they suppress the production of your natural hormones, including androgens. So androgens being your kind of more male hormone testosterone. Yeah. So they're the ones that usually will drive um, acne. Yeah. Um, so the kind of synthetic hormones in birth control, um, like the kind of synthetic estrogens and the progestins, um, particularly ones like 
Dupropostanone and and um, Ciprinone, they're really um, good at stunting the production okay. of sebum from the spatial yeah. gland. And then that obviously brings down the sebum production and yeah. hence your acne clears. Yeah, they, would they be in like Yasmin, is it? Or yeah, yeah. Yasmin, Yaz, and um, the other one that begins at a D. Dianet, is it? Dianet. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So they're all what we would call anti-androgenic pills. So then but your skin obviously needs a certain amount of sebum then to be moisturized, to be healthy. Like it needs, you can't just, you know, have this chronically dry skin. So when the pill brings down these hormones to um, ultimately your sebum, your natural response in the body is to increase, upregulate the production of sebum. So that yeah it meets somewhere in the middle while you're on the pill and it kind of gives you this good acne-free moisturized-ish kind of skin yes yeah um, and that was kind of my case in that I did not go onto the pill for for acne never had acne for whatever reason I was prescribed one of these anti-androgenic pills Yaz and noticed my skin chronically dry actually was I was on it for five years never realized that it was because of this pill and um, but then so then what happens when you come off the hormonal contraceptive is that you have this upregulation of your own sebum like I've just discussed but then obviously then the suppressed the, the suppression from a hormonal contraceptive perspective is gone but then your ovaries start to produce their own hormones again but before they regulate themselves they might overproduce these androgens so then you have this doubled up production of sebum um, that your body has ever had and this what then results in this kind of cystic acne situation like always um well most commonly around your cheeks and your jawline and that's very uh, good indication that it is driven by a hormonal and something hormonal going on um but then so it usually peaks at around you know five or six months when these androgens really spike um and it does tend to get better. Mine kind of peaked six or seven months. Um, yeah. And honestly, I am I'm, I'm even afraid to say it, but I've probably only been like fully cleared skin for probably six or seven weeks now. Like, I mean, okay. it's, been, it's been a lot better now for the last few months. Don't get me wrong. I haven't had like, I wouldn't describe it as cystic acne like I had right. for a period of, of, you know, five or six months. Um, but it definitely has taken a huge amount of time. Yeah. This point. Amazing. Wow. It's yeah no it and I suppose I felt very hard on by because I did not go like, on it for acne even I never had it and then I had found myself having to deal yeah. with it um and kind of a certain amount of anger that like yeah. why was I on that pill like I didn't need that pill yeah um, but however um we are where we are and it's learned I've learned from it and I've been able to help lots of people with their acne since which I think yeah. is a blessing in size yeah. I believe that things happen for a reason and um, but I think from managing it there are some things that have really really helped me that um I think you can actually start to do prior to even coming off the pill if you think you are somebody who's going to sort of from this if you are either on one of those anti-antigenic pills or you had acne before going on the pill you can do a huge amount for yourself you even come off so things like reducing refined sugar intake so and um, there are studies that link kind of sugar high GI sugar so refined sugar 
um, and processed foods to kind of worsen acne. Yeah. And reducing that before you come off, ideally three months before this kind of, you know, nothing happens overnight with your hormones. So you want to give yourself the best chance. Um, increasing your fiber intake, excess hormones are reduced in your, or sorry, are removed from your body in your bowel movements mm. so lots of fiber try and remove them and then a good quality and um, like multivitamin mineral complex mm. and just replenish any of the nutrients that may have been depleted while on the pill yeah you have a really good you know best chance when you come off yeah uh, and then from a when you do come off then i think and um, changing up a little bit keeping those good dietary patterns but yeah. then also going in with something like dim and milk thistle so definitely taken together because dim can be quite tough in your liver I even found in my blood tests I got quite a few blood tests done just to kind of monitor what's going on to really see that peak in androgens around month six six seven when my skin was definitely at its worst and then um as of you know three months ago they come right down which is completely in correlation with my skin improving um and then so dim and Milk thistle um, and then omega-3 anti-inflammatory really really good mm-hmm. especially if you don't eat um yeah. two, two times a week i would take it i i eat it twice a week but i still take omega-3 i just think yeah. that's amazing um zinc really really good for your skin um so good quality like um zinc um, Literature, pick and yeah. um and then controversial but and i'm a big dairy lover don't I don't remove dairy for any, from anyone's diet if it's if I don't yeah. think that we'll benefit from it and because it's just so nutrient dense. But there are some weak evidence to suggest that dairy can exacerbate acne. Yeah. Um, so if you're not getting anywhere with some of the other protocols yeah. that I kind of mentioned earlier on, I would consider bringing the removal of dairy as yeah. another yeah. kind of toolbox. Yeah, no, I would agree with that too. I think it can be inflammatory as you know, there's a lot of inflammation going on in the body at that point. Like acne is quite inflammatory, like, you know, it's an inflammatory response. So you do maybe want to lower. So doing other things, like you said, lower your sugar, up in your fiber will help lower inflammation. But if it's not working, removing dairy, or even if it's not long-term forever, like it can be a short period of time or as switching to different types of dairy, like the ones like um, the more the A, isn't A2 casein, that's what we'd want. So um, like in sheep or goat's milk products, um, which I think is a good thing because again, you're still getting the nutrients from like you know, like the fat soluble vitamins that are really important, um, but you're not maybe getting that pro-inflammatory response then. Uh, exactly. which is, yeah. I think like a lot of, we're very lucky in Ireland that a lot of us have the genetic ability to break down dairy very well. It's part of our culture that we are farming, yeah. you know, a nation, but that's not to say that it will suit you for your whole life so you know if you're getting digestive issues from dairy that is a really good indicator that it is causing some sort of inflammation so that's my yeah so yeah no definitely super you know i think that's been really helpful for post-pill acne because it's such a huge challenge or even if it's not post-pill acne and someone has acne in general those same tips would work anyway because particularly acne like around the jaw chin chest those back all those areas that's hormonal androgenic acne so it's about lowering the androgens and the inflammation in the body so the same approach would work wouldn't it exactly and that's exactly it i think um like those nutrition um, and kind of supplementation um, protocols are really beneficial. I think with acne, it's very much a two-point approach. So you can't ju- just do, well, sorry, I think always do the nutrition things, but obviously the skincare is huge as well. So I yeah. spent, you know, a long time with very, in you know, great um, skincare consultants and 
doing what was right for my skin so I think everyone's skin is so different so definitely worth getting a professional opinion on what products are good for you I think um across the board though a pre-cleansing oil people are really terrified of putting an oil onto their Mm. own oily skin yeah yeah it it, like oil does the fat dissolves fat so yeah yeah like a pre-cleansing oil so definitely double cleanse but with a pre-cleansing oil you're really getting that like dirt out of your skin and then with your second cleanser then it's kind of lifting and the remain anything remaining like your excess oil and Mm -hmm. making with like a a salicylic acid cleanser and it is really helpful so those two things yeah yeah I would definitely recommend and then anything else is kind of tailored to you from a skincare yeah yeah definitely yeah no I think you go into like a proper skin consultant or whatever like a technician is really important as well on that journey and I'm actually going to have someone on soon talking about skin health as well like from a like a cosmetic point of view which I think is going to be helpful for those who've got acne and any like other skin conditions like aging and stuff like that as well but um yeah like honestly that was amazing like I got so much from that Jenny thank you so much and like I think that would be really helpful for just like a re- it was a really good chat just around hormones in general and understanding the importance of the cycle like we've always talked about and I always talk about and then the hypothalamic amenorrhea and then the post pill acne and acne in general and so many good nutritional tips there and like hopefully that was helpful for people um but where can anyone find you if they want to check out your content and stuff yeah so you can find me primarily on instagram and um, yeah. at one health underscore nutrition and um, my website is one health dash nutrition.com um, and that's where you'll find me for the most part but thank you so much yeah no same absolutely what I'll do is I will get those links for your Instagram and website and put them in the the notes on the show so people can uh, check your page out and I'll put it on my Instagram whenever I post the show as well but um yeah honestly thank you so much for coming on again and it's been a really really good chat and thank you everyone for listening hope you enjoy this episode and I'll be back next week with another one take care